We have two terrific guests in this segment for Election Night Watch Party 2020. We have Miss Ashley Woodard Henderson, and we have Mr. Bashkar Sankara. Uh, Ashley Woodard Henderson is the co-executive director of the Highlander Research and Education Center, uh, is affiliated very closely with Black Lives Matter and Freedom Road socialist organizations, including Liberation Road, uh, and very active uh, in a variety of activist organizations, working families, projects, and so on. And Bashkar Sankara is the creator, editor, and publisher, that's quite a trifecta, of Jacobin Magazine, and author of the Socialist Manifesto, The Case for Radical Politics in an Era of Extreme Inequality. And so thank you both for joining us on the tightrope. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks for having me. Yes, it's great to have you both. Um, so I, I want to start with Ashley, if that's okay. I just have a couple of questions, and then I'll turn it over to my esteemed colleague, uh, Cornell. Um, so I'm wondering, uh, Ashley, if you can talk a little bit about, you know, the complexity of being Black, Southern, uh, rural in a time not only of COVID, but also in, in the context of the political environment that we're in, when there's so much assumption about rural counties being particularly uh, racist, anti, you know, black, you know, Trump supporters and so on. And I'm wondering if you could share your perspective on what you've experienced and what your activism has, you know, how, how your activism has been shaped by those experiences. All right. Thank you for that. So I think I love this question. And where I would start with answering is that what I know for sure is to be black and Southern, to be from Appalachia, to be a woman, to be from the working class, uh, is is actually the greatest blessing of my life. I wouldn't be here talking to you if I wasn't at the intersection of the, those identities. So I just want to start from the perspective of, of recognizing that as being a, a gift from the God that I believe in. Um, and then what I would say to folks that wonder about what it is to be in this skin, in this bodysuit, in this place, is that it's been a magical experience. But what is also true is that it is a very American one, a very US-centric one. Uh, white supremacy, though, having a very particular legacy uh, in, in my region, in Appalachia and in the South. What's also real is that white supremacy is, is the American way. White supremacy isn't particularly special or isolated in my region. And, and what I also know to be true is that the inverse of the story, right, is that actually there's a long legacy of resistance to white supremacy, to capitalism, uh, to heteropatriarchy, uh, on and on and on, right? The, the first abolitionist newspaper was actually produced in, and published in Appalachia, right? That the, the movement for labor in this country is actually rooted in a Southern and a particularly Appalachian story of, 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 of resistance. It's actually my inheritance uh, to, to win, right? It's my inheritance uh, to be a part of liberation struggles for our people, not just in the US, but globally. And I think that the, the last thing that I would say about what it's like to be black in Appalachian is that it, it's a lifetime of wondering why the question is posed this way. Um, the, 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 the question of like, who does it serve to believe that Appalachia or rural communities is really just a white story? Uh, why is the, the actual long legacy of, of black, brown, indigenous folks uh, creating struggle with working class white people consistently dismissed while uh, focusing on a story that is actually as true as, as every other community in the U.S. 
When I think about the South, I think about the largest geographic region in the United States. When I think about the South, I think about the highest concentration of Black people in the United States. Um, so if you believe in the movement for Black lives, and if you believe that Black lives matter, the South should be critical uh, because you can't live freely if, if not focused on what is happening in the Southern Freedom Movement. I believe that as goes the South, so goes the nation is not an opinion, it is a fundamental fact. Mm. Mm -hmm. Well, what a blessing to have both of you all on, the two grand freedom fighters of, I could say, younger generation. It, it brings joy to one's heart in that regard, the legacy of Miles Horton, your leadership there at Highlander, and then our dear brother, who is the editor of the leading left-wing journal, seriously concerned with the life of the mind, connecting it to struggle, especially multiracial solidarity around issues of class, issues of empire and the ways in which homophobia, transphobia, white supremacy is faced, but then predatory capitalism at the center. What are the prospects for those of us who believe in empowering poor and working people in the form of multiracial solidarity at this moment, given the elections? Well, I want to echo some of that by saying that I think it's important that we look at our history as a history of not just defeat, but a history of a lot of successes, too. I mean, God knows that this is not a, a good society to live in if you're a working class person, especially if you're a black working class person or indigenous uh, working class person. But this is not the worst of all possible worlds because we are standing on the shoulders of, of those who came before us and those who struggled for a better world. When the modern workers movement, I guess you, if you want to put it that way, um, came into being in the middle of the 19th century, a lot of the core demands were for things like an eight-hour day, were for things like actually getting universal suffrage, were for the most meager and basic uh, welfare state and labor protections. And we've actually won a lot of those things. They're constantly under attack. The right wing would love to, to push us back deeper and deeper into vanquished forms of oppression and exploitation. But I think on the left, we need to simultaneously be discontent and see the need for radical change and, and rupture with the status quo, while also seeing the way in which through mass politics, we've made victories uh, in, in the past. And uh, I, I have a lot of hope. I have a lot of hope that we can build a majoritarian coalition in this country. I see a lot of hope in the Black Lives Matter movement and the fact that there's a lot of support among working class white people for the that movement that a lot of the dog whistles that was coming from the far right in this country are not actually being responded to. Obviously, we have a long way to go. Um, I'm like everyone else, I think tonight, looking at these election results and I'm a little bit worried. Um, we'll see what, what happens. I think Biden will still eke out a victory, but eking out a victory against a candidate as flawed and incompetent as Trump makes me worry that Bidenism and that form of centrism that of course we want to defeat Donald Trump, but this form of politics might not be able to defeat the type of right populism that we're going to get in 2024, 2028. 20, um, uh, like what, what happens when they actually have a competent politician, when they have someone like a, a American Modi or, or Bolsonaro, someone who's a lot stronger than, than this buffoon we have in the White House right now? Right. Yeah, that, that's a very, very good question. Um, very, very so, true. Yeah, go ahead, Cornell. You were gonna... No, I mean, I, I think both of you all speak with such power and eloquence. I just wonder, though, you know, um, 
you know, the white supremacy does cut so deep and the predatory capitalism does blind so many working people so that it's hard to come together around issues of, uh, of, of class exploitation. Uh, uh, one wonders whether this new kind of neo-fascism, even if it loses tonight, but bounces back four years later, uh, uh, is, is going to be uh, a foe that we can overcome. You know, you wonder about that. Uh, uh, what are what 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 kinds of evidences do we have that we can create a majoritarian left in such a sick country like the United States, such as a sick empire that we live in? Now, I think it's a critical question, and it's one that keeps I think all of us on on this call. Yeah, it's it's, tonight, it's true. Right? It's <laughs> true. Yeah. That's, that's the lifelong work, as, as Miles would say. Because we, we we all committed to life and death to that's fight it, said, but we just I, wonder. That's, at that's that what you time. taught us, right? <laughs> so exactly. I mean, I think it's I think it's the it's the it's the central question to what does building power in a twenty first century context look like? But mm. what gives me hope yes, is yeah. that we've built the largest social movement in U.S. history. We mobilized 27 million people in 2020. And those people, as my comrade said, were black people, right? It was a black-led, multiracial, multi-sector, multi-class, multi-geographic movement. We had protests in all 50 states in the United States and in like 13 to 18 different countries since June, right? Uh, when when I see that, it gives me hope. When I see organizations like the Movement for Black Lives, when I see organizations like the Rising Majority that is building, you know, a, a left uh, pro-democracy united front, a movement of movements. When I see the front line, right, that again is building a united front to protect, demo- not even protect democracy, because arguably we've never really had it except for when we've practiced it one with another in our communities, uh, but to build a democracy that our communities have always deserved. When I see folks, regular people, not just policy wonks, but policy wonks and regular people coming together to develop things like the Breathe Act, right? Which could be the civil rights bill of our time. When I hear about the red, black, and green New Deal, when I hear about the Thrive Agenda, like I see our people actually coming together across differences to build the kind of movement that we've deserved. Um, you know, I, I think even in the last couple of months, as we've seen GOTV efforts and as we've seen election defense work happening today, that what we know for certain is that organizations and communities are working together and, and building this united front that could be the popular front that actually builds enough power to be able to stop authoritarianism and right wing fascism and right wing populism in its tracks. Um, I think it's ours to lose. Right. And I think that that's the that's the message even for tonight, regardless of what we do or don't know by the time we lay our heads in beds. What we know is that if we lose, it is because they threw everything in their power at us to dismantle our movements, to suppress our vote, to, you know, to 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 exploit our labor, uh, to extract wealth in all sorts of forms from our community, to incarcerate and criminalize our people and our descent. Um, and we still pushed. We still pushed. I think we've already won. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, that's, uh, you know, it's a fantastic answer to an impossible question because, you know, at the point at which we realize that, you know, they've thrown everything at the movements, you know, you still have to come to terms with the fact that they might, as Cornell was saying, continue on. And that's also what uh, Bashkar was saying, too. So what 
you know, how do we best respond to the, to the, not only the smear campaigns of socialism, right, which has emerged. I mean, when Joe Biden emerged as a socialist, I had to check, I had to check to make sure we were talking about the same Joe Biden. <laughs> I was like, okay, maybe there's a second Joe Biden running for president uh, in this situation. Um, but there's this capacity to invoke uh, racialized narratives, political narratives that have so much weight. I mean, not necessarily for us, but I think they have more weight than we imagine. This it goes back to your point, uh, Ashley, about you know Appalachian is magically all white, uh, and what story that provokes. So, can starting with Bashkar, can you both uh, sort of discuss? You know, how do we deal with these smear campaigns, these narratives, the invocations that seem to be so effective in masking what's going on and also rewriting not only the victories that you're describing, Ashley, but the alliances that are so powerful and inspirational about them? Because, you know, th the stories that they get told are very important here. Um, so anyway, but Bashkar, uh, maybe you can say a few words and then we'll have Ashley on it, too, if that's if there's time. Well. I think there's a reason why why all of us actually talk about socialism and talk about the socialist tradition, because in this country, at least, we have nothing to be ashamed of. Socialists have been on the right side of every struggle for a little bit more justice and a little bit more dignity for for working class people of all of all races in in this country for for decades, and I, I think that they're going to call us a socialist anyway. That's that's one I was. Um, went to a young democratic socialist uh, winter conference when I was maybe 17 years old. And I think um, Bill Fletcher Jr., the labor organizer, uh, said that to us and it stuck with me ever since. You know, They're gonna call you a, a socialist, they're gonna call you a communist. Anyway, you can't uh, walk away from that. We can't use vague uh, euphemisms. I, I, I think certainly um, Biden has never been one of us, but, but it did a lot of good, I think, for Americans to see democratic socialism associated with groups like DSA, associated with Bernie Sanders, associated with our other socialist organizations coming out of the uh, communists and, and a whole host of other traditions, which in the United States have, have left a very uh, good legacy. But one thing that does give me some hope is we not only have seen mass support for Black Lives Matter, despite every attempt to smear the movement and attack it, we also see resounding support, increasingly even among Republicans, for Medicare for All. Uh, you're seeing growing support for things like a Green New Deal. People want a jobs guarantee. There's close to two-thirds of, of Mississippi, again, another state with a deeply radical tradition that a lot of people um, in the mainstream media, at least, associate just with a, a reactionary right-wing tradition, support a, a jobs guarantee. So I think there is the basis there. Among Black Americans, that has been the, the bedrock already there for people fighting for an actually existing social democracy, but they're increasingly being joined by white workers, particularly young working class people who are getting squeezed by the system. Uh, I don't believe in gener generational politics as kind of destiny, but it's, it's the, looking at the Democratic primary numbers, it's very clear that there's a huge gap and it's not just among, um, you know, people under the age of 30. It's people under the age of 45, 50, basically, are all well to the left on a lot of these economic issues. I, I think there's a, a materialist reason for it. And the key thing is we just need to turn this sentiment into politics, turn this from vague policy preferences into, OK, if you want this, 
you have to plug in here and you have to fight as a part of this and, and join this coalition. We actually need to take sentiment into strategy. And that, that's a challenge. But that's a challenge that I, that I do believe is, is, is possible. And the last thing I'll, I'll, I'll say is that I've actually been impressed believe it or not, by the, by the American people these past four years. Because I really thought after the 2016 election that this right-wing populism of, of Trump, uh, this proto-fascism, whatever you would call it, would develop majority support, that he would just have to toss people a few bucks or create a little jobs program or some symbolic tariffs or whatever it took. I, I really thought that, that there was more of an audience and appetite for it. And I think you, you see that even if Republicans manage to hang on to power, it's only because we have a system, a political system that's so corrupted to the core that it allows minority rule. You're not seeing the same levels of support for Trump that you see for similar uh, thugs in, in Brazil and in India and Turkey and, and, and Hungary and elsewhere. Mm. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I'm an, I I'm an organizer at heart. Right. And so I believe and I trust in the brilliance of our people. I believe that because they live every day in the muck and mire of the ridiculousness of, of capitalism, that they actually are really, really respondent to socialism. Right. Like they're just waiting on having the language to be able to articulate it as a political theory in a way that academics respect, right? Like what's real is black regular working class people talk about socialism all the time, whether they call it that or not. Right. And so mm -hmm. I think uh, like as, as a, as a person who identifies as at least socialist, um, you know, I think like, like Miles would say, uh, Highlander is, tends to be left of that. Um, I, I think there's a couple of things that I would do to popularize socialism. Right. I would one, just talk about what it is. If we name the needs that it meets of our people, our people will, our people are already behind us. They're already, in fact, we might be, we might be politically behind our people uh, because if we're, if we're good Marxists, we believe in the mass line. They've been talking about these demands, whether they call it socialism or not. But the second thing that I would do is I would use cultural organizing. It's a very black and Southern thing to do, right? And Doc's already talked about it tonight. Like how, what does it look like to take art and culture and faith and spirit and put those two things together to change policies and practices. If we actually use cultural organizing and made socialism sexy, people would be ready to go. Uh, the problem is, is that we talk about it in really arbitrary, abstract ways that are not actually connected to people's everyday living. Uh, but when we talk about everybody having healthcare, when we talk about building healthy, sustainable and equitable communities that are not just extracting wealth and knowledge and brilliance and talent and natural resources of all stripes out of their communities, and building a, a, a mutual aid society uh, for all people, a beloved community. People want to get down with that, right? Um, and so I think we need to name what it is. We need to make it plain. We need to use art and culture to make it impossible to say no to. Um, I think we need to call the mighty role of socialists that have come before us. Um, I think when people find out that I'm a socialist and uh, I'm not just some like, you know, talking head, um, and that I can talk about black and brown and indigenous people who taught me about socialism, that it's not just a white man's pol political theory, um, then they're much more engaged and excited to be a part of, a again, a mighty cloud of witnesses of people who have been doing this work. 
Um, and then, you know, again, I would start with trusting the people and I would end with trusting the people. I would trust that the people have a lot to teach us about how to actually practice socialism versus just talking about about it like it's some abstract thing that's in the future. Um, I think the more that we show folks how we can practice socialism and are practicing socialism right now um, and how it's been, a, I think the same thing about abolition, right? It's like we see wealthy and whiter people uh, benefiting from, you know, communities without police. Um, and we see them benefiting from all sorts of things that that are related to socialism that actually all people so deserve. So it sounds like we have the folks that are going to be. I yeah. Oh, yeah. Wait, I muted myself. So I can I can listen to you all, all night and put a smile on my face because you're speaking some deep, deep truth. I mean, we still got a lot of milk toast black neoliberal leadership that's in place that need to be exposed and need to be demystified. You know what I mean? Yeah, we got to put a spotlight black people on are not confused. I do not believe that black people are confused. I believe that they know that they cannot be free under capitalism, even though they recognize that there is a world that is right. I think where socialism, where socialists mess up is that we pitch them that the world that should be exists right now. And it doesn't. Right. We ask mm. them to take risks mm. for a world that should be, uh, but we can't promise to keep them safe, right? I think there's a lot of infrastructure that we have to build to make it real for our people. Mm -hmm. But I think they're also mm -hmm. not confused that neoliberalism kills them too, right? Mm -hmm. I live I in a southern place that's been led by by a Democratic mayor um, that that has increased the police budget every year, right? Like, it, like again, people, people are, I think there's much to do to make sure that our people understand how impactful and how deeply entrenched neoliberalism is in ways that are harmful to our people. But again, I think I see our people like in the millions um, and, and definitely in the hundreds of thousands consistently saying that they want mm -hmm. something else. And I think it is up to us to make sure that we're building the infrastructure with them from inception uh, to be able to see that that socialist transition happen in our lifetime. I think anything less is a cop out. So, I mean, look, I just, you know, I, I love what you're saying and I, you know, I'm inspired by it, but I'm not a hundred percent sure that I have the same level of uniform, um, investment in the idea that people know these things already 100% or that they're able to really respond with the same level of clarity that your position suggests. I'm not saying I disagree with what you're saying. I'm more curious about, you know, I, I guess what I want to do is say, look, I have faith in people too, but everybody is not necessarily on board in the same way that you're saying. So I want to be able to say yes, faith for sure, but also recognizing that there's a lot of complexity there. I'll just give you a quick example. One of the things that I've worked on a long time is hip hop music and culture. And, you know, I have a lot of uh, sort of arguments that I've made in support of the political salience of you know, particularly early hip hop, the first 15 years or so. But, you know, it's it's largely a commercial neoliberal genre for, you know, in terms of what most young people consume. So that's not coming from neoliberal political leaders, right, which are in one place. So how do we manage that? In other words, how can we have the faith you want to have and still be able to deal with, right, this kind of contradiction or this kind of challenge to the uniform belief that you've expressed here? Does that make I sense? Think it's a great, I think it's a great question and I have an answer. Um, because I, I don't think it's do, but that's why I, <laughs> yeah, I think it's a great question. Uh, and, and I think it's a critical one. I think even if you disagreed, I think that'd be critical. I believe in principled struggle. 
Um, what I believe to be true, right, is that that one, the, like as as much as it is true that there is a a culture in hip hop that is very deeply invested in, in continuing systems for the sake of individual wealth building. Um, what we've also seen is folks starting to push the levers, not even start, like we can't talk about hip hop and not talk about folks like Dream Hampton who've been pushing from the inside out uh, for radically different um, anti-capitalist hip hop, right? Uh, we can't talk about hip hop and not talk about folks like Cutting Candy, uh, you know, a, a Asian woman who's been throwing down on the left for, for decades, right? There's there's yeah, so many examples. for every commercial for every, mainstream hip hop, actually. Sure, I mean, sure, I love for every Dream. Ice Cube, there's, 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 there's folks that are actually throwing down like Tefpo. Uh, but I, th I think to the point, I think to the point that what I've been taught as a cultural organizer and a political educator in the South is that I meet people where they are and I don't leave them where I found them. And I think too okay. often, even in the in the most recent conversations about folks like Ice Cube, uh, folks like 50 Cent, folks, other folks that have been, you know, doing these backroom deals around the, the so-called platinum plan that Trump has proposed for black people. What we've seen, right, is like uh, this debate about whether or not we should be canceling these hip hop artists. And what, what's what's silly to me about it um, is that they don't actually care about your canceling, right? What they actually care about is, is, is having a conversation. That's what people have been saying for forever. And I think the problem isn't that our people don't understand neoliberalism. Our people can understand anything. I think the problem is, is that people actually aren't talking to people, regular people in particular, uh, to tell them about, to, to illustrate to them the, the obviousness of the absurdity of, of neoliberalism, just like people hadn't been talking to regular black people about the obviousness of the absurdity of, of being capitalist. Um, what I know for certain is that when we dropped the Vision for Black Lives, the policy platform in 2016, people told us that we were crazy to include that it was an anti-capitalist document, that it was an abolitionist document, that we really believed in defunding police, we really believed in an end to capitalism and that Black people couldn't be free under it, that we really did believe in these very extremely so-called radical things. Um, and what we've seen is from 2016 to 2020, those things come to fruition. Right. We're seeing people defund police. We're seeing people like push for the creation of third parties, including the Working Families Party. Um, we've seen people push against like the regular old neoliberal Dems. And I think that what we know, particularly in a Southern and Appalachian context, right, is that you get what you invest in. And what we haven't seen is an investment by the Democrats. So to be honest, if you want to hear an Appalachian and Southern story about like what happened tonight um, and what has happened in, in, in other elections, um, isn't that people are sold out on either the neoliberal Dems or the right wing. They're not voting at all. Mm -hmm. They're not participating in this political process at all, which means that we're leaving ginormous segments of our community up to, up for grabs, right? And so I think again, and to your to your original question about like how do we make sure that our people understand what socialism is and that it might work for them, is that we actually don't do the make the same mistakes that neoliberal Democrats are making by just conceding the South, conceding mm -hmm. Appalachia, assuming that right. they're only you know white Tea Party members in those places because that's not true. Right. They they've been no. We must so never concede. We must never ever concede. Not at all. Not at all. Oh, I wish we had more time. And I did, brother, would you want to say a last, last, last word right well, quick? Well, the only thing I would say is that I, I think for most Americans, socialism 
communism even the, these words mean nothing we're beyond kind of the cold war era when these words had a lot of negative valence but it means nothing in the sense that we need to do the job of actually winning things winning even uh, an intermediary measure like medicare for all winning a good $15 and a union for every working class person in this country, uh, then they'll actually attach meaning to socialism. Socialism will be more bread on the table. It'll mean more security and peace in their lives. Uh, then we'll be able to build a mass constituency. Right now, it is an abstract academic thing. Right now, it is true that socialists in America are not deeply rooted enough in working class communities. You know, I've been a member for, of, of DSA since I was a teenager. I, I love I love DSA, but we have to admit that it's it's not deeply rooted uh, in 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 the working class at all right now. You know, it is mm -hmm. largely a media event. It's it's great, but we need to we need to actually uh, sink things deeper to go go forward. We need to start start winning something, and and I completely agree that it starts with the hope and the belief that even if we can't win 100% of working class people behind a program that's broadly in their material interest, we can win 55, we could win 60, we can activate a lot of people who are currently not engaged in the political process. And that's a future coalition of American politics. It's these non-voters, it's these people who are, who are organizing in places that don't make sense to the Democratic Party to, to go reach because it doesn't make sense in the Electoral College calculus. But for us, it, it doesn't matter. We're not thinking about the Electoral College uh, calculus. And, you know, I just have to think that that we, I mean, it's our only choice, right? We'll, we'll have to try. I, I think it's our best bet. And we, we have, I think, a good 10, 15 years to try to realign American politics before it's lost forever, I think, to a much more dangerous and growing right. So let's, you know, let's get to it. Well, we got our work cut indeed, out for us, indeed, for sure. Indeed, um, indeed. This has been wonderful. We're going to have to have you both back uh, on the tightrope uh, sometime in the future. And we're going to come back to that hip hop. OK, Ashley, because I got, <laughs> got a couple more. I got a couple more arguments with you. I got a couple more bones to pick. Um, anyway, it's been terrific. Terrific hearing you both, your inspiration, your vision, your your intellect, and your commitment's been fantastic. So we wish you both the best. I want to make sure Highlander Center gets rebuilt. So, um, you know, write to me and I'll try to distribute some some news about that if you have any, because we have to go now, unfortunately. But Bashkar, thank you so much for all your work and your vision, Indeed. the Jacobin, and hopefully we'll thank get you, you on again both. And let's hope that tonight yeah, is uh, a movement in the right direction. Thank you all so much. Thank you both. Thank you all, all right. so much. Take good care. That was wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. That was that's a that's a that's rich, a beginning of a longer very conversation. Right? Rich, rich conversation. We need that kind of conversation on a night like tonight, you know. Really exactly. Do. Right. That 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 passion with you know, insight and commitment. Uh, and just you know, it's just amazing. You realize that you Absolutely. theorize your way out of action, you know. Exactly right. Um, yeah, that's been uh, that's been really really powerful. Um, hmm. Well, you know, I wanted to ask. I guess we'll have to have them back because I wanted to ask what, you know, what should the Bernie constituency do in this moment? You know, what's the best thing that the Bernie constituency can do in the face of whatever comes? Right? You know, how 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 do they function? It's, it's, it's going to be interesting. I mean, you got Brother Nick Brown and company uh, uh, with the People's Party that's on the move. Sister Nina Turner, one of the great, great leaders of her generation, a uh, number mm -hmm. of us. But then you got folk working on the inside. You got Brother Bernie and you got the squad and so forth. We're going to see what they can do. 
But right. in the end, they're probably going to be headed in the same direction because I think the neoliberal wing of the Democratic Party is going to have a certain kind of crisis no matter what happens tonight. Right. And no matter what happens with the Bernie crew. Right. Right. That's true. 